are listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. My name is Moth Moth Moth, and today I'm filling in for Caroline. We have got some wonderful friends with us, like Nikita Ronkasun, Noah Buchanan, myself, of course, and we're going to be sharing special moments with our guest today, Brittany Farrell, and she is the owner of Lotus Voice Studio. Today, we're going to be talking to her about anatomy, science, ways to change your voice, and ways to take care of your voice. Continue tuning in with us as we have a wonderful day here on the Trans narrative podcast hey everyone welcome to the trans narrative podcast where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space with an emphasis on accessibility intersectionality inclusion diversity and equity we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community and by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse we are able to elevate often marginalized voices this is the Trans Narrative Podcast. Okay, friends. So today we have got a couple of wonderful co-hosts who are joining us. Noah Buchanan and Nikita Ramkasu. Hi, my friends. How are y'all doing today? And it, how often have y'all appeared on the Trans Narrative Podcast so far? It's been amazing. This is actually, what is this, now my second time now? <laughs> well, welcome back. We're so happy to have you, babe. Yes. And Nikita, and, uh, is this your first time or second time? Have you been on here a few times? Uh, I was here on before as a guest, and now I'm hoping to do the other stuff. And now you're part of the family. Yes. So for Noah, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are and what brought you to the podcast? Yes. So actually, I run a network called Queer Trans Revolutionary Action Network. And essentially, I actually mentioned this. I'll talk about it briefly. Actually, basically what we are, we're a network that collaborates with other trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and intersex activists. We create resources for the community. Our overall goal is to fight and to achieve liberation for all queer, Black, Indigenous people, making sure people have free health care, free education, being able to have access to food. Um, essentially, actually, weirdly enough, I used to do podcasting, <laughs> so um, I'm just now getting back into it. It's been a while, and what can I say? I actually love it. I actually almost forgot how fun it was. It can be fun sometimes. It most certainly can be. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as when you became aware of this podcast and the trans narrative, I think that this is such a wonderful opportunity to stitch people together all across the country. I'm so happy to have you here, Noah. But 
uh, across the country and beyond the country. So Nikita Ramkasun, tell me a little bit about your experience and how you were brought into the Trans Narrative Podcast. And thank you for being here, babe. I know it's a little later where you're mm-hmm. at, correct? It is, it is. Um, it is after 10 p.m. And, uh, oh, I'm from South Africa. And I found the Trans Narrative Podcast through TikTok because I, I have made it a hobby of mine to yell at white men on the internet and make them cry. So yes. <laughs> um, I actually found uh, Caroline through, uh, through TikTok and I have my own podcast called The Bipolar Feminist and uh, talking about feminism, mental health, uh, queer issues, and pretty much anything to do with gender leftism. I, I myself, I'm a intersexual Marxist feminist, uh, very, very much anti-capitalist. And uh, occasionally, I embarrass myself on TikTok by doing YouTube karaoke. (laughs) That's just you letting your hair down, baby. That's just you having some fun. (laughs) Yes. Well, everybody, my name is Moth Moth Moth, and I'm so happy to have my friends here with me today. I'm so happy to spend some time with you all. Everything that you've been through in your lives, I'm just so happy that you've been brought to this moment. The more time that I spend on this planet, the more that I cherish the moments that we get to spend together because they're ever fleeting. They are ever fleeting. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a writer, I'm an artist, and I work for myself independently. I produce drag shows and do a lot of projects around Memphis and around Tennessee. But I also work for a wonderful magazine that's called Focus Magazine, and we have a small foundation through that called Focus Center Foundation. I'm currently the program's director for that. So I'm always planning a party or an event or trying to raise some money or asking some, like, you know, old gay dudes if uh, they can toss me a little money so I can make a pop song. So... Mothy is always wheeling and dealing. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. I have been working in podcasting for uh, technically over five years now. I had an original podcast with my best friend, Lisa Michaels, who was a trans activist and hero um, in California and down here in the South until she passed away a couple years ago. And, um, you know, that brought me into activism. And today I shall be filling in for Caroline. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Caroline is our fearless leader and she keeps us in line here and she always keeps the message moving and she puts an incredible amount of work and love and focus and information in this podcast. So uh, today I will be uh, moderating for us and moving our conversation along. So uh, do tell me if uh, there is a point in time where we want to linger on a subject or if you feel like uh, you may be have been a little too revealing or vulnerable, just let us know. This is such a safe place. We want you to be able to tell all of your stories and uh, you know, you just let us know how to set this pace. We have got dozens and dozens of really great questions. So we've got anywhere all over the map that we can go to. Um, of course, today we have our friend, our new friend, who is voice teacher extraordinaire, Brittany Farrell. And I'm so happy to have you here. Brittany, very briefly, um tell me how did how did the trans narrative find you or did you find the trans narrative thank you for having me i'm really excited to be here um so i i made a TikTok with a couple members in our center just kind of sharing you know following a TikTok trend as many do and stealing other people's ideas to capitalize on them um but no just just different people in the center sharing um what they wouldn't do 
with their voice as voice professionals, I guess. And it got a little bit of traction. And I think that's how Caroline found me. She just commented on the video. And before you knew it, you were right here with us. So, so everybody, uh, and thank you for just making some time with us today. You know, we are, as I stated before, kind of a carousel of personalities here on this podcast. So nobody feel like you have to live up to any type of crazy expectation. You know, we want you just as you are today, feeling the way that you do, having the thoughts in your head that you have, and know that you're just very supported and speaking your truth when you're with us and never feel like you know, you're going to be judged in this space or misquoted in any way. Um, there is a lot of hard work that goes into this podcast to make sure that it's such a clear, beautiful message. So as far as your work, tell me a little bit, you know, becoming a voice teacher and becoming a, a professional, both from a scientific basis and from a practice basis, have you always been somebody that has been involved in voice in some way, perhaps through choir or theater as a child or speech lessons? How um, in, your in your younger life did sort of this idea enter? You know, tell me a little bit about your understanding of the world that you're in when you were little. Great question. Yeah, I mean, my dad, who, you know, unfortunately don't have a super close relationship with, but he was always really connected with music. And so I have recordings on like cassette tapes of me at four years old, you know, like singing different songs and um, music was always really special for me. And my dad used to write his own compositions and play piano at different venues. So I think exposure is really key. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as I can remember voice, like singing specifically has been such an integral part of like who I was and how I expressed myself. Um, and then I, I sang in choir um, all through middle and high school. And I loved my high school choir teacher and was like, I want to be a high school choir teacher. <laughs> um, so then I did my undergrad in music ed and I, I had like a straight trajectory. I actually won like $20 from my boss in my undergrad who was like, you're gonna change your major because music majors always quit. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going straight through. So I won $20 when I graduated, that was exciting. And yeah, it's been a, I've, I've always been involved with music. It never, um, never strayed for me until, you know, until vocal injury, which we'll get into later, but yeah. I'd like to sort of expand that question to everybody else in a much more like conceptual fashion everybody has such a specific relationship to their voice and everybody has, you know, your voice, just like your shadow is something that follows you through your entire life and your voice changes throughout your entire life. So I want to kick it to everybody, Noah, Nikita, myself, you know, what has your relationship with your own voice been like? I know, you know, what a, what a normal situation for someone to listen to a recording of their voice and be like, I don't, ugh. So let's unpack some of that. Like, do you, have y'all loved your voices? Have you changed your voices? Have you um, had troubles with your, you know, I myself have uh, a lisp and a stutter and some speech impediment troubles that I've worked through with speech classes. So, you know, your voice is, is one of the first things that people meet when they, when they start to get to know you. So if we may start with Nikita, what has your relationship to your voice been like? This is gonna be interesting because, um... 
I studied uh, Indian uh, vocals, Indian classical vocals from the time I was about five years old. Also played the piano and I sing. Um, and I would say that uh, vocals was my primary instrument until I just started, well, well, childhood trauma happened and I just kind of withdrew into myself. Um, I stopped talking for a whole year. Um, and my parents sent me for elocution classes because they thought, you know, I'm just self-conscious about my voice. Hence, I have this nondescript accent that kind of sounds British, that kind of sounds South African, that kind of sounds Indian, and nobody can really place it. I have a bet going on TikTok. The person who asks, where are you from, based on your accent, and if they can get it the first time, I will give them 100 Rand, which is our currency. <laughs> Nobody has claimed it yet. Um, and so uh, I have this strange relationship with my voice because I know that artistically it is expressive. I know from having a podcast myself, I know how to control the voice. I know the breathing techniques and all of that, but also being a smoker, I know exactly how I'm damaging it. And if my guru could hear me now, she would probably take off her, off her shoe and want to slap me up, up the side of the head. Um, because my guru from the time I was little, she, she always said, never start smoking. <laughs> um, so um, intertwined with the, the training, the trauma, having gone for elocution classes, developing a stutter um, because of, well, linked to um, the abuse, all of those things put together has made me realize that the voice is so much more than a sound. It is the conduit through which you speak your ideas. And thinking about it like that, that has strengthened my voice tonally, in terms of volume, in terms of being able to control it, being able to be more expressive, especially on a platform such as TikTok, when you're on TikTok Lives and you have your camera switched off when people can't see your expression. They know, like my community on TikTok knows that whenever I go quiet and I say, listen, that's when they know that they're expecting trouble. <laughs> and being able to express so much through the voice and knowing that it is a hammer, it's a tool, but it is also such an integral part of the tools that we have to fight depression. Yeah, so that's me and my voice. Oh I God. hate it but on recordings, though. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I feel I like wonder... I sound like, like a potato. <laughs> like if a potato oh, had a voice, that would be it. <laughs> right. I feel we're we're so. I feel we're quite cruel to ourselves when we're listening to our own voices. But you know what? What I tell myself is, well, you know what? My voice wasn't meant for me. My own voice wasn't meant for. It was meant for other people to hear. You know, I'm the one projecting this. I'm the one. I'm the one making the sound out of my instrument. It's not, not for me to hear perfectly clearly or perfectly correctly. Just as my public image is not for me to control uh, perfectly all the time. Um, Noah, when it comes to the way that you've commanded your voice and your voice has evolved over the years, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, sure. Um, so with my voice, actually, like my voice has always always been kind of a deep voice anyway. So like even when I transitioned, started taking tea, like it didn't really make much of a difference, except it just dropped a little bit. And 
But like now, like I kind of noticed though, like since taking tea a little bit, it has kind of messed with my voice a little bit. I always have this little rasp now, but also that also could be a contributor because I too am trying to quit smoking. Because <laughs> I do know that it's bad for me. I'm asthmatic. I shouldn't smoke, but I have somebody in my life now that is really helping me to stop. So knock off my fingers crossed. <laughs> I also know that, you know, with my speech, though, it is a very powerful tool. You know, I always say that using our voice is the most powerful thing that we have. Direct action is also very powerful, but our voice is everything. Get to hear the tone, how you can hear passion from our voices when we speak them. I also recognize, too, being an activist, there's a lot of things in the news that just piss me off sometimes, and sometimes I kind of do trip over my words quite often, because it's just like, I think really for me these days, it's just like what's been going on in this country, it's really kind of just really messed me up, and even with speaking about it, because it just upsets me. So I notice, like, emotions, like anything that's going around in society, it impacts me, and it impacts how I use my voice. So that's kind of how I would say, you know, in terms of the, uh, in terms of finding my voice and my experience with it, I never was diagnosed with any speech impediments. Um, other impediments, though, like basically writing with like this instead of like this, <laughs> which, by the way, I don't care. Getting worms. <laughs> yeah, what, whatever works, you know, when it comes to our abilities, I want so badly to soften this world and soften the expectations of this world. Because quite frankly, you know, I don't think that most humans are broken. I think that most humans are lovely and special and just unique. And we're all a unique recipe. So the more that we're able to relax away from some of those societal expectations, of elocution and of and of motor skills. I'm a person that doesn't have good control over my own fine motor skills um, for so many different reasons. And I find that the world is just very hard and very quite harsh on that type of thing. So for me, very briefly, you know, my voice is something, you know, I had kind of stutters and some speech issues. I'm also somewhere on the spectrum of autism. So my I have a natural propensity to have a very even voice for the most part and I can feel like I sort of drone on and when I was younger I kind of grumbled and mumbled a little bit so doing uh, acting exercises and, solilo and soliloquy exercises and um, really going back to like the yellow folders and red folders that I had to keep in third grade speech class where we really went over accent the reason I don't have a very strong Tennessee accent uh, much like Nikita was saying, I have a, a hard to distinguish accent because I've just worked on my voice so much and worked on my speaking ability so much. In high school, I elected to, and college, I elected to take formal speech classes. So writing speeches and really thinking about the cadence of my words and the way that, you know, the way that you compose, the way that you speak, almost like music was something that helped me so incredibly. And anytime that I'm alone, I mean, if somebody walks in the door, my partner walks in on the door on me, like talking and vocalizing to myself all the time, because I'm always trying to get the instrument to sound smoother. I'm always trying to get syllables out of my word, out of my better syllables out of my words and those words out of my mouth better and better. 
um, so that I can take advantage of those opportunities when I'm at the steps at the Nashville Capitol speaking to 75 people um, or more. And as a person with epilepsy and disabilities, like my voice has been affected by those things. So Brittany, I think that your work field is something that is so fascinating and I'm so excited to unpack it with you. Um, you mentioned journeys with vocal injury. So can we go ahead and start there? Um, I know that vocal injury is something that we see sometimes in media, you know, perhaps like one might recall, um, I think that Mila Jam, who's a wonderful trans pop star, had a little vocal injury a couple of years back that she dealt with. I know Adele had a pretty significant vocal injury that she had to grow through. So for those of us who have never had to deal with a vocal injury, tell me a little bit about that world in a way that somebody might come to you for help, Brittany. Yeah, it was so, I just, you know, I don't mean to linger, but thank you all so much for sharing about your own experiences with your voice. And it's just such a pleasure to be here today because, you know, once you, once you make your hobby your work, it can be really hard to maintain um, passion for it. And working in medicine is really draining. So you just restored so much, um, so much of my passion for me, just hearing, you know, from people, yeah, the way that they, they think about their voice and how they connect to it. And there's so much wisdom um, in that. So thanks for sharing. Um, and I think it connects because each of you have shared in your own way um, vocal injury. Actually, I don't think it has to be pathology. Although, um, Noah, in your case, you know, with testosterone, there is a lot of research showing how impactful testosterone is to um, the prevalence of developing a voice disorder. And so, you know, it just causes tension and um, it's a, it's changing your whole instrument in your throat. And so it's a really uncomfortable process for a lot of um, trans mask people. And, um, and similarly, um, Nikita, you know, having like losing your ability to speak for a year or becoming um, selectively mute, like that is a vocal injury in a way. And so, and yeah, I, I'm rambling here, but I guess the point is ramble that... on baby ramble on. <laughs> well, thank you for that permission. Um, I guess the point is that injury is a spectrum. And as you were, you know, talking about performers that have sustained injury, I actually just came, I flew in this morning, which is why you saw me drinking a ton of Dr. Pepper, um, which is a whole other spectrum that we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, vocal health and, but, um, I flew in this morning from a conference in Boston and one of the key speakers was talking, he's a laryngologist um, at uh, Well Cornell in New York City and he was talking about how um, how like our singers, you know, we often see singers in clinic that are very, they're very stressed about what's going on for them. I mean, this is their livelihood, it's their identity and um, it's a very stressful time and, and he was like, are the singers high maintenance or are the doctors um, scaring them like in a way that they shouldn't be at least that's what i took away from it and my point is that um it's very possible to recover from even significant vocal injury and even though it's it's exceptionally easy to do vocal damage i think there's a lot we're learning a lot in our field about the possibility of um recovering from it in in all different realms like mental physical emotional um yeah i, I kind of <laughs> I think I lost track of the question, but was it, um, were you helping I, center I, me? 
I, I kind of want to linger with you on on this on this thought for a moment okay. because I've never considered the idea of voice training and medical attention to voice as something that could be much more holistic. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I've really put a lot of thought into, you know, the mental side of, you know, when you have a voice moment, uh, the mm -hmm. mental side of healing from that. That's something that I'm, I'm finding just very fascinating. So tell me, was, did you begin into this work with a more holistic approach or did you begin with a much more like, you know, this is, we're doing it by the book. This is the way it's going to be. Mm -hmm. This is what the research and the data says. Sort of, how did you navigate earlier in your career as you built your own language as a teacher and as a, as a professional? Yeah, thank you for lingering because that is actually the topic that I'm the most passionate about in this field. And um, my instinct is to start with science and branch out from there or start with what we do understand into maybe what we what we don't. But, you know, as Noah was saying that when um, that when he experiences uh, any sort of emotion or um, yeah, any, any changes in emotion, the voice changes. And so the nerve that innervates the larynx is the vagus nerve. And anybody that likes, you know, reading about the body or um, self-help books, which is definitely me, um, is knows that the vagus nerve is such a complex nerve. Like it's the nerve that um, regulates fight or flight response. It's sympathetic nervous system. Um, it regulates your... Uh, involuntary like bodily functions like restful breathing and lots of different things but it is also the nerve that innervates the larynx and so um so there's science in the way that emotion impacts our voice and there's also you know spirituality and unfortunately you know western medicine doesn't um often take those sort of pieces in but um branching to my own injury that was the only thing that um, that was the only thing that really uh, skyrocketed my recovery was doing the mental and spiritual healing. I met with, um, I kind of did a walkabout of like voice professionals around the world and like who are the different people that, that work with the voice and what kind of opportunities are there for healing when I'm not being um, maybe kind of arrogant about, well, only science can address this. And that's definitely not the case. Um, although I, yeah. So, you know, I worked with a voice psychotherapist, um, which wasn't for me, but it was really interesting. And then I also worked with a voice movement therapist who was the most woo-woo sweet lady ever in the world. And she would totally laugh if she heard me say that, but she lives in like a commune in Nevada now doing like spiritual <laughs> healing work. And that was actually the most helpful for me. Like of all of the people that I worked with in my recovery, it was actually like somatic work, um, and work with her that was the most helpful for me. So hope that answered that's, your question. That's very beautiful. And uh, you know, sometimes the woo-woo people, sometimes the woo-woo people know where it's going on. You they said this was up. somebody that was very movement-based. This is a more movement-based way of exploring. Yeah, I mean it's called a voice movement therapist. I don't I don't honestly know um where that term comes from, it's not any sort of, I think there's a, at least one book on the topic that I haven't read, but it was really more somatic. Um, so her, her student was my somatic therapist. And then she referred me to 
her teacher, but somatic healing in terms of like actually being able to feel what's going on in your body, which mm. shockingly was a very foreign concept to me. And I think it's a really foreign concept to most of the people I work with and especially um, trans people because, you know, it's, I'm sure it's so uncomfortable. Um, but being in touch with your body is so integral to um, healing and connecting with the voice, like being able to feel and connect and um, relate in that way. So that's, that's what helped me. So if I may use this moment to segue into, you know, this is the trans narrative podcast, and we've been able to touch a little bit about, say, like the way that tea can affect a person's voice and, and the way that you uh, train your own vocal habits. Let's linger there and let's talk about gender affirming care and voice affirming care for trans individuals and non-binary individuals and gender non-conforming individuals. What's some of your experience with that? Because it's, you know, every story is just as specific as the person and intersex individuals, of course, <clears throat> who, who so often get left yeah. out of the conversation, which is not fair. Not fair. Not fair at all. Um, yeah, so at Sinai specifically, um, there's actually two different patient populations. It's really interesting. It's um, not like it is at any other center that I've worked with or for um, because the one of the main doctors there is one of the best in the country and potentially the world for the um, voice feminization surgery called the Wendler glottoplasty. Um, and he's great and just so skilled and he's um, pioneered this surgical technique and helped so many trans people. Um, and it's just been so fascinating for me because I come from the behavioral modification background. So, you know, how do you change the parameters of your voice um, through therapy, which is learning a new motor skill. It's a coordination task. It's very difficult. It can take a, <laughs> can take a really long time. And like you said, um, Moth, it's, you know, for those of us that don't have those coordination skills at baseline, and this is what I've been struggling with and learning this here as a clinician is like, what do we do when our patients don't have those motor skills at baseline or, or even like the ear, the auditory reception and awareness? Um, some, the surgery is a really good option for people that don't have those um, motor coordinations at baseline. And, for trans men, there's testosterone that generally gets them pretty close to their pitch goals, but there's nothing like that. There's no pill you can take um, as a trans woman to raise your pitch. Um, so my point is that the patient populations are very different, um, and these are huge generalizations, but just my own personal observation. Um, the surgical tract patients, uh, generally come in not having done, generally, I'll say generally because there's always exceptions, not having done any personal research on the voice or like tried to modify it on their own, they kind of know that they're not very coordinated. They, they kind of know that about themselves, I think deep down, and they come for the surgery because they're like, therapy is not going to get me where I want to go, or they're looking for a quicker fix, which is not a judgment-based statement. There are so many things that I do in my life that are a quick fix, like drinking Dr. Pepper, you know, to get my, my caffeine. So, um, so the surgical tract patients are generally looking, generally looking for a quick fix. They um, generally do therapy before the surgery anyways, because we've found that that has the healthiest outcomes. 
um, just to get familiar with the voice and learn how to um, relax and use airflow, etc. Um, and then the behavioral uh, track patients, it's totally different. Um, they're often very coordinated. They are not rushed. They're willing to take their time with it. Um, they might be even like not very far in their transition, which is the whole other difficulty because how do you like, how do you learn a new motor skill if you don't have a lot of opportunities to use it and practice it? So um, again, kind of going off here, but yeah, so that's, that's my experience is just seeing this really fascinating uh, divergence emerge of like, okay, we do actually have a surgery now that has really great um, results and the surgery only targets pitch. It doesn't target the other elements of the voice that are necessary to perceive femininity because pitch is not the only factor. Um, and, uh, and then we have the behavioral track and we have this, for me, this big question in the middle of like coordination and can it be taught that kind of, um, question. I have a question on the back of that. What do you find is the most common or the most, um, the most prevalent, uh, issue when it comes to gender dysphoria relating to the voice? And I'm not just talking about trans men and trans women, but also non-binary people who also experience gender dysphoria on a different level. I don't know if I know how to answer that. It's, um, my instinct is to go the science route and to say, I don't think that's been studied specifically. I can't say for sure. Um, but what I can say is I, um, I use this visualization of like the gender voice triangle. It just helps me visualize and I think it helps my patients visualize it. And I'm happy to send you the document that I use to um, explain it. But there's three big yes, areas, which are pitch, um, which is how high or low the voice is. And then resonance, which is how bright or dark the voice is. And these are subjective terms. But I always use the analogy of SpongeBob because I feel like 90% of the population has heard SpongeBob characters. So if you think about like the same, the same note on the piano, but if I go into SpongeBob voice, that sounds like I've raised the pitch, but I haven't actually. Or I can go into Patrick voice and it sounds like I've lowered the pitch, but I haven't actually. Right. And so if you have a dark resonance, but you speak high, then we get into Julia Childland and uh, often people don't want to sound like that. Um, and then the other big elements so we have pitch resonance and then we also have vocal weight. And again, this is a very subjective term. Weight is it's subjective in one way and very scientific in another. It's the actual mass of the vocal fold. So how much of the vocal fold is vibrating at one time. And um, Caroline brought up a point that I hope I get to address today, which was maybe, you know, I'm, I will say, I, I hate to say like right or wrong with things, but I think the chest voice thing about women don't speak, that's a huge misconception. We all speak in our chest voice. Um, so that's the, the majority of the vocal fold vibrating. That's a heavy vocal weight is our chest voice. So anybody, if you put your hand on your chest and you say what you had for breakfast, you'll feel your chest vibrating. We all speak in our chest voice. Um, trans women often have to learn when they're behavioral, behaviorally modifying their voice, they have to learn to speak out of the chest voice often. So that part is true, but um, uh to raise to raise the pitch so vocal weight is on the spectrum of 
breathy, which my voice is a little bit today because I might have gone out over background noise last night. Um, so lots of air in the sound, kind of like Marilyn Monroe. This is a very light vocal weight. Um, or I can get a little bit more pressed. I can get louder. I can kind of squeeze and press the vocal folds together. You can think about it like kind of holding your breath and then trying to talk. That's a huge exaggeration. But um, yeah, so those are the parameters. And I think um, patients often don't have the language or the awareness of exactly which parameter it might be. It's generally all three in my experience. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, because I mean, the science behind it is also the psychology behind it mm. and how the two are so interlinked and we kind of separate the two of like physical health and mental health and the, the physicality and the, and the, and the uh, psychology, but they are so intrinsically interlinked with how we present and how we navigate the world um, because uh, trans identity is so rooted in the physical, but it is very much uh, rooted in the psychological. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, I, I would like to see that uh, the gender voice triangle because as a non-binary person, my pronouns are they, them, by the way, um, it has also been very difficult navigating through what is my voice actually, because I have PCOS and I have a deeper voice naturally. Uh, because of my elevated testosterone levels but it's also like you can hear that i'm femme so especially on those days when i'm like i just want to wear a binder and be like i don't perceive me at all um like the voice is also one of those things that i'm like i just want to be quiet now like hide into a corner and just be quiet so yeah it, it is quite um it, it's so intrinsically linked to each other. Yeah, and I'll just quickly um, spin back at you with that. For non-binary people, it's like an even bigger challenge. Um, and I, you know, speak from a lot of cis privilege here, just putting that out there. But all I can share is my observations or like what my patients have shared with me, which is that um, as non-binary people, so I have a lot of, I think that's like the biggest spectrum where they come in and sometimes they'll say 90% of the time I want to sound feminine, but I want the option of accessing masculine voice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so hard. <laughs> like I am immediately stressed. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, no, how am I, I going to teach you this? <laughs> um, and then it's like, it's normally, I normally don't get like a 50-50 thing. Like I want to use mask 50%, fem 50%. I have patients that will say um, they're not out at work, so they need to be presenting mask at work, but they want to sound femme the rest of the time. And I'm like, okay, you know, like I, it's a learning process. It's really hard. Um, I think it is possible, but again, coordination. If you don't have that, I can't help everyone. It's, it's really hard. So for everybody involved. So can I take a lot of the time it's acting. <laughs> it's just about acting. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And believing it and making it work and getting by. Um, a actually, world where, oh, go on, Noah. I was gonna say, I actually have a question. So I'm actually a practicing therapist, a mental health therapist. So what would you actually recommend to mental health <clears throat> providers, like actual therapists? Because of the fact is there's such a disconnect between healthcare and all of our field and, you know, as a therapist, how would I, I guess my question would be is, 
what if I had a client and they wanted to come and talk to me about the voice and emotions and all that? What would you recommend for mental health providers, mental health therapists to speak to these clients and explain that? Oh, Sorry for the big question. <laughs> no, no, it was a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, first of all, thank you. I didn't know you were a therapist and um, thank you for asking. I, you know, honestly, counseling is the thing that I'm struggling with the most in my practice. So I immediately am like flooded with anxiety, but I'm going to do my best here. You know, it's so I admire you for the kind of work that you do. Um, so as a mental health therapist, how should you, I think, I think resources are really important, right? Like if people don't know what's available to them and what they can access, um, then there's no starting point. So just knowing, I think it's important also to be honest and for people to know that voice work is really hard. And, um, and again, this is a question that I'm asking and it's controversial and I'm sitting with it, but I'm not sure that everybody is capable of behaviorally modifying their voice. As a matter of fact, my instinct is to say, um, it's, they're not, uh, not everybody is capable of behaviorally modifying their voice. So I think it's important to be, you know, honest with your patients. Like, you know, this work is really hard. Um, you might need to pursue a surgical track at some point, like you might try behavioral intervention and it might not work for you. The surgical track might not get you the results that you want. Um, and there's, there's, it's the same sort of concept as, well, similar concepts of with vocal injury where you have to grieve your losses sometimes. Um, yeah, just not everything, not every outcome is a perfect outcome and it's important to be like, at peace with the instrument that you have and just do what you can um, and grieve the losses. Like if you can't get that perfect voice, so. I'm Damn. glad I had to ask that question because I have a client right now that's kind of like, she's in her older age, but she's having a transitional period. And it's like, I'm doing an existential approach with her and everything to try to help her identify and give her quality of life and meaning. And she's slowly deteriorating. Like her cerebellum is going very low, but I mean, that's typical though in development as you get older, but like her voice is starting to act up. And so therefore it's like, for me, it's like, I'm all down for that. We have to grieve that loss. We have to move on. And, you know, really it's just, what can we do from here? What could, what goal can we work on right now? So I, it helps me as a therapist, especially for clients that are going through a developmental period, even with people who have autism and they're nonverbal. So like it helps me as a therapist and it helps uh, me to be able to provide other educational resources for other therapists. And I would love to see that triangle because I would love to pass that along to my colleagues. Oh, yeah. Thank you. No, I'll put it in the chat. And um, yeah, thank you. Y'all, I think I'd like to just insert a quote in here for Caroline. I think that like this is just like what an important, wonderful Woo, y'all, sorry. What a wonderful conversation to have because we're talking about growing, we're talking about skills, we're talking about improvement, and there are a billion different approaches and a billion different ways. But I think that something very beautiful and very important is the radical acceptance of your instrument is gonna be your instrument and you are gonna you can learn new ways to play it, but there comes a point where you'll have to accept you for what you got in that moment and that's something I am like trying to let y'all all of your words etch into my heart because I'm 
somebody that has spent my entire life just, oh God, I wish that I could just sing like Sarah Evans, or I wish that I could sing like Reba, because <clears throat> I come from a mother who sings very beautifully, and a father who sings very beautifully, and then I am I'm a little tone deaf, not going to stop me, but it's, you know, that's something that, that is so beautiful, you know, as somebody that is learning to sing better and trying to have a small music career, I'm trying to radically accept that I'm not going to sound like anybody else ever. And my habits are too far along to, to change a lot of them at this point. So if I'm going to sing like an emo singer from <laughs> 2011, then that's the way it's going to be. And we're going to figure out how to be gentle through that. Now, I'd like to, I just, I thought that that was y'all just what a beautiful conversation and, and thank you for all being present for it. Uh, Nikita, my friend, you had a, another question to to take over with. So I wanted to be sure that we had space for that before our next few questions. So I turn it over to you, my friend. Yeah. Um, this is potentially triggering, so trigger warning. Um, I'm also, well, I'm not a therapist. I am a post-trauma counselor. And this is from my experience and realizing that, yes, I have the tools and um, I had the privilege of my family believing me when I told them um, my experience and supporting me. Um, not many people are that lucky. And so when I'm approached by somebody who tells me that they have been raped or they have been abused by a partner, a lot of the time going through that process of finding them help, getting their, uh, to the point where they can tell their story without breaking down, they do lose their sense of self. And that comes with losing their voice, losing their ability to speak, not just verbally speak, but just articulating words and being able to, uh, and it's a problem that I have as well. Speaking about my trauma, it's finding the right words. Um, and it is to do with that loss of self. And my question in regards to this is that loss of self translating into the loss of the voice, what would your best suggestion be to helping somebody finding their voice again? Because I know it is so, so damn hard. Yeah, another great question. And I feel like my um, higher power is definitely challenging me today. Because, <laughs> like, um, you know, again, the counseling aspect is what um, is what I've uh, struggling with the most. But yeah, no, this comes up. It does come up a lot. Um, I'm glad you asked it. You know, there are a, little, a lot of patients that, not a lot, there's a handful of patients that come um, through voice clinics that have um, selective mutism or um, what, what we call functional aphonia, aphonia meaning no voice, functional meaning that um, there's no medical explanation for why. Um, and it, it, and uh, there's definitely a connection between that and um, different forms of trauma or having like physical trauma to the neck. And there's thankfully a, a great emerging um, research in the voice and trauma. There's actually an organization called The Voice and Trauma they put out a lot of great research and my first suggestion would be to seek those professionals that I was mentioning that uh, specialize in both mental health and the voice. 
Um, Diane Austin is the creator of voice psychotherapy. She's lovely. Um, she kind of pioneered, she had a voice loss episode, I believe, after um, her husband died and uh, that in, inspired her to create this entirely new field of both using the voice, using vocalizations to heal from trauma and um, healing from vocal trauma by vocalizing. So it's really fascinating. But um, my instinct goes to the book, um, The Science of Stuck, which just makes me think about how, you know, again, like I was saying, I do think somatic connection is important to vocal healing. But in the case of trauma, um, as you know, you all know, somatic connection can be very harmful for people that have just been through trauma like they they need to stay disconnected from their bodies to stay safe um and so being stuck in like staying disconnected from your body um stuck can be um stuck doesn't have to be a bad thing you know it's okay to stay um in a place where you're not moving forward just to like spend time healing um and your body knows what's best, you know, like if you try to do somatic work and it's just not happening, your body isn't ready to do that work and that's okay. So you can stay stuck um, and stuck is okay. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think somatic. Oh, but there's also, there's other forms of healing for functional aphonia. I think working with, of course, also working with, <laughs> here I am a licensed speech pathologist, like recommending everybody but us, but yeah, there's licensed speech pathologists that specialize in voice therapy. They see these kind of cases come up. They have great strategies that can often get people voicing again, um, just through some kind of um, vocal exercises. And we actually just saw a case presentation at our last laryngology rounds of this exact um, scenario and they were vocalizing again um, about six months after doing the therapy and there's medical interventions that can help too so uh, you know just explore all the avenues but be okay with with it's really the same topic uh, like the radical acceptance topic of just like grieving your losses and accepting where you are and being okay with being stuck if you need to stay stuck Ooh, thank, thank you. you for that Nikita, thank it you is so for important. That. It is so important to realize that stuck is a place, that it's not, it's not limbo, that being stuck is a place that you may have to be. And I developed DID because of that stuck between the ages of four and nine. And so, um, you know, that's when the, the brain starts fragmenting because trauma at a young age and um, helping my alters find their voice over the past few years. That has been quite a journey as well. And so, yeah, it's, uh, oh, uh, when you mentioned spirituality earlier, um, we have this, um, I'm, I'm not Hindu, I'm, I'm atheist, but I mean, raised in a Hindu family, we have this, um, this concept of um, Namkirtan, which is elevating the voice in order to elevate your spirituality and so that concept kind of lingers through all facets of hindu uh, it's not just worship it's how you live your life it's how you elevate your voice and it's good that you mentioned um suggesting everybody else but but your own work because we do elevate the voices that most help 
the the cause because uh you know hands put outward in service right yeah well and maybe you know um maybe i think spirituality is um an elevated phase in healing i do personally think it's super important but maybe um maybe trying to go the spirituality route can help with you know, even though, so what i'm trying to say is that spirituality is really hard to access when you're stuck um but if you can encourage yourself to go that direction it might that might be something that opens up other pathways if you start from there i don't know that was what came to mind as you said that but that's really interesting thank you yeah nikita i had no idea that you were about to open just like such an amazing can of worms for us and as somebody you know you sorry I'm, not sorry no <laughs> uh thank you thank you nikita because personal from a personal standpoint I'm a person that has been very stuck over the past couple months, and I've been in probably the most disassociative space that I have ever been in in my life in the past couple months. And it's been something that has affected me at the spiritual level, at the social level, at the physical level. So I want to keep us here, but uh, pivot into, as you were discussing some of the topics and some of the vocabulary that you use you know you played i i really really appreciated uh uh the teacher coming out in you for a moment because we got to you revealed yourself just a little bit and the way that you played a note and then went into this very beautiful uh explanation that helped us understand about tone and pitch and kind of where people can live that was something that i think like I said, revealed your hand as what what an incredible teacher. I, I can tell that that you know teaching to be a teacher is something that I believe lives in a person or it doesn't live in a person. And how quickly you were able to get us all on the same page with you, just how freaking amazing and powerful. So in our outline, we have a question that is about discussing the way that students develop an internal map of their body and an internal map of their instrument from my personal standpoint you know i was some of my voice struggles come from my it's hard for me to modulate my voice and, and go you know i'm expressive i've learned to be really expressive with it but for me it, it can be tough to get out of my more froggy uh very paced even voice unless i'm super super excited but when i was little i got made fun of a lot not just for having a gay voice but i had uh, my adenoids taken out when i was very young when i was about seven so my voice became higher and reedier um whereas it had been a little deeper when i was littler so uh if you can spend some time with us talking about the way that we develop that relationship to the different parts of our body and the different parts of our instrument something that i think i really liked was saint vincent once said when you're singing and learning to sing and experimenting you can be quite expressive just anything that doesn't hurt is kind of something good that's on the table so go for anything that doesn't hurt so i wonder about the map making and i wonder about when somebody is exploring their range on their own what are some tips about avoiding bad habits or vocal injuries? 
Ooh, okay, there were like five questions in that one. Don't think I didn't pick up on that, so I'm gonna try, Sorry, <laughs> gonna try let, to let's hit the points. Start back to body mapping. Let's start. Yeah, 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 body. got it. Got it. And thank you so much for your sweet compliment. That was making me tear up. That's so sweet. I appreciate that. Um, so body mapping is a certification. Um I studied with a lovely teacher in my first master's degree named Dr. Melissa Maldi. She wrote um, What Every Singer Needs to Know About the Body. It's a great book. It's such an approachable pedagogy book, like anybody off the street could pick up this book and learn so much about their voice. Um, so I'm not a certified body mapping instructor. I just like to um, cherry pick principles from a bunch of different stuff and hope nobody sues me. So. Um, basically uh so basically body mapping is what it sounds like it's a way of visually conceptualizing our anatomy really understanding understanding our anatomy in a functional way um and in a simple way it's not necessary to understand like complexities in the anatomy but just understanding like where is the soft palate right um understanding where that structure is understanding the movable structures that we have control over that can change the voice from SpongeBob to Patrick because resonance, that SpongeBob to Patrick spectrum is controlled in the vocal tract, which is this, I wish I could, you know, share a picture and draw it out for you, but this is a podcast. So, um, so look it up, the vocal tract, it's the space above the vocal folds out through the mouth or out through the nose, depending on which sounds you're making. And there's movable structures that change the shape of that space. So I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but if I close my glottis, if I close my vocal folds and flick my neck, <laughs> I'm about to do it in a second. So, oh, I can do a video on YouTube, okay. So if I close my vocal folds and I flick my neck um, and I make different vowel shapes in my mouth, you should hear different pitches. So let's see if it works. Could you hear that? Okay. So, um, so that is the concept of a space having a resonating pitch. It's like blowing air over the top of a bottle. I totally took a detour here, but the point is that the vocal tract is what modifies resonance, which is that color of the sound, the SpongeBob to Patrick spectrum, whereas the length of the vocal folds modifies the pitch. So um, to change the resonance, you need to know what movable structures you have control over. Um, what you were asking about for your voice specifically, Moth, like kind of that maybe um, some crackliness in the sound or some rumbling in the sound. I think you might just have a really low voice and low voices um, often get that kind of like bass rumble in it. And it's totally something that you can, you know, work with work with people to, um, to find a different way of vocalizing. But, um, and then I think one of your other questions was, how to, I know you said you would go back to it, but I remembered. And it was about how to avoid pain, I think, in the voice, which is fantastic. I I really appreciate that you said that. I think it's, there's not a lot of absolutes in anything in this world, but in the voice world, similarly, there's not a lot of absolutes, but pain is, to me, definitely an absolute. Um, 
you shouldn't feel pain. Um, the vocal folds don't have a lot of sensory signals in them. So um, if you're feeling pain, that's like, that's a pain is a sign from your body. You know, um, uh, I'm actually doing aerial circus arts right now, which I don't want to talk about because I'm terrible at it, but I'm trying to branch out and do cool things. And But in aerial circus arts, they they actually encourage you to kind of like sit through the pain and then your body will get used to it. And that's a really foreign concept to me. And I, I want to respect my teachers and their um, experience. But I'm like, wow, that's super different with voice. Like we really shouldn't feel pain or experience that. And I actually will, the question you asked about how to study on your own and not experience pain, my response to that would be, do not study on your own. Do not. Like the voice is very complex. It's not, um, it's not something like a lot of like playing piano where you can watch YouTube videos and like figure out which keys to plunk, like get a professional to show you how to navigate those things. Um, that, that would be my advice, honestly, like don't explore it on your own. Like just, and I know, you know, money is, money is an obstacle. So maybe that's a privileged, um, maybe that's a privileged response, but if you can get an expert to help you, if you can't, I think what you said is pretty much the best option, which is like watch YouTube videos, explore it on your own. And if you're feeling pain, stop. Um, but it is going to be really hard to make progress without a teacher and without an expert. So I think that one of the best, you know, it's, I don't believe in like the magic side of like the secret and like manifestation and whatnot. I believe in like the peopleness of that. And when you start to talk about the things that you need out in the world, you know, my father always said, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So, you know, I think that somebody like myself or Caroline who have, you know, we've been exploring our voices and trying to find ways to grow and expand or find techniques. Um, you know, those barriers to care, there are so many barriers to care for, uh, queer people and for trans people. And, you know, as we look at data from all across the world, you know, per capita, like we make less money than everybody else. We make, yeah, uh, as, as a people, we have less opportunities. We get fired much more easily. Um, there are so many barriers to entry, but when it comes to simple ways that we can enter cultivated, because, most folks walk around not even thinking or considering their relationship with their voice. So all across the spectrum of people, what are some simple ways that a person can sort of start to build a relationship with their voice? I need a second to think about that. That's, that's um, a super broad question. Um, I mean, in daily practice what are things that a person can bring that are very simple into their lives that might help any any type of person improve their feeling or voice quality okay yeah thank you that's really interesting yeah and thank you for you know reminding me and like i said i i think having access to a teacher is definitely a privileged um standpoint from financial and um location and all of that stuff um, so yeah, unfortunately there's not any like general thing that I can answer that with other than that, my instinct is to go to what are the free services that people can access that will help them build a better relationship with their voice, which is like, 
meditation or meditation centers, often those kind of programs are free. And um, meditation in particular, or just the process of building awareness, like noticing the difference between a thought and a feeling, the somatic work. Um, I think I'm sure there's a lot of YouTube videos on like, or, or you know, the, um, the app that's like Insight Timer, they have free recordings that could get you like somatically connected with your body. Um, I honestly think feeling pain is a great, that's great awareness. And, you know, like last night I was out with some people um, in Boston after this conference and my colleague is, um, my friend is a med student and she's just entering this field and doesn't um, have a lot of background in voice. But after we left the bar, she, like she's, I, I, love, I love her so much. She's building a relationship with her voice. And um, as we leave the bar, she's like, I notice that my voice is feeling tired. And I'm like, that, that's an accomplishment. Like just knowing, oh, that feels a little different than my voice normally feels, that feels tired. Um, so I did all of this singing practice, at detour again, but I have another like singing voice rehab patient who also has a um, private voice teacher. And that's always like a, difficult area because I don't want to step on the toes of the voice teacher who's right, who's wrong, blah, blah, blah. What I tell my patients and my students is um, you are the expert in your body. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody tells you. You just have to notice how you feel. Like, how does that make your voice feel? So when you leave your voice lesson and your voice is raspy, as an example, um, that's a sign that there's something happening that's not that your body isn't aligning with. Um, in that lesson. So, um, yeah, so just building awareness, being aware. Yeah, it happens. We all get raspy. It happens. Um, I think I lost the second part of the question, but, um, yep, that's what I got. <laughs> I think that what I'd like to, um, you know, what I, I know what I'd love for us to, to wrap up with and final question, but as from a personal standpoint, you know, I think that that, like that raspiness and vocal tiredness, or, you know, that small types of vocal injury are things that people deal with each day. For me as an entertainer, you know, I do a lot of emceeing. I do a lot of appearances where I'm talking for a long amount of time. And a rasp because of, somebody said rasp because of capitalism. Capitalism do make a girl's voice raspy, that's for sure. Uh, when it comes to, it, once you've had kind of like a bad, because my voice gets blown out after shows, after like a couple of days where you've been rough on your voice, what are some easy recovery methods to help people of all types be gentle towards their voices and heal once we've got, because I just, I go too far all the time and I feel it all the time. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Because that was what I forgot to, I wanted to talk about vocal health and just, I think the umbrella of like little behavioral things you can do for your voice. That's actually the one takeaway that I can um, give you without actually doing a voice therapy session, because it's not, um, it's just not something that I can share without, you know, being in a session with you, but vocal health, everybody can do these things. Um, Nikita, I'm sure you'll be unsurprised and, you know, smoking is like one of those big things um, for the vocal folds. But no, again, nothing is black and white. Nothing's black and white. Like Lana Del Rey was smoking on stage at her concert and I was like, what in the literal hell? Like, why does she get to live that life? And then I go out for one night and I'm raspy all day the next day. So, um, so your vocal folds are the gateway to your airway. They sit at the top of the trachea. So anything that you inhale that passes your vocal folds, right? 
Um, so we want to avoid smoking, vaping, marijuana, anything that you inhale. I know, I know it. Trust me, I have this talk so many times, <laughs> but it's burning your vocal folds. So edibles, you know, any alternative that's not smoking. Um, and it's so damaging to your lungs too. And this is stuff that you want to last, you know, a lifetime. Um, hydration is the other huge thing that I'm always surprised um, is not more common knowledge. Not because, and this is like my biggest, um, my biggest pet peeve of like myths of things, you know, when people are like honey and lemon tea or certain foods or things to drink, nothing that you eat or drink touches your vocal folds. That is choking. That's aspirating, right? So our airway closes when we swallow and things we eat and drink go down our esophagus. So if you're drinking hot tea, you might be inhaling the steam onto your vocal folds, which feels nice. You might be soothing irritation of the tissues above the vocal folds, um, but there aren't a lot of quick fixes unless you can look. Um, I will say, I'll just toss this little nugget out here. Search um, semi-occluded vocal tract exercises on YouTube, semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. You'll find some good teachers on there demonstrating um, these techniques, those are really good to improve vibration of the vocal folds, kind of stretching them out and um, uh, stretching and releasing them after exertion. Those exercises are helpful, but general vocal health, you need to maintain really good hydration, both like drinking water into your body, which is what keeps our tissues slippery and um, moist. I heard that word earlier, <laughs> great word. Um, you can also inhale steam or you can nebulize. Uh, they both have different benefits. I think we posted about it on the Sinai uh, Instagram recently, so you can go check out our vocal health post there. Um, so hydration, avoiding smoking, honestly, avoiding, avoiding loud and prolonged voice use, like just monitoring yourself, like having a vocal budget with yourself and understanding that it's not an endless supply. A vocal budget it's not an endless supply right you can't you've only got a hundred dollars and nobody well maybe lana del rey has a thousand because of some genetic predisposition that we haven't like discovered yet but most of us only have a hundred and if you go scream out over a crowd you've already spent 50 to 75 percent of your budget and if you keep overspending you're going to uh, see the effects of that in a week or two weeks um so yeah, hydration, vocal budget, um, being careful of what you're inhaling, managing other medical factors that often don't have as large of an impact on the voice as people like to make them into because everybody wants a quick fix. And what I'm talking about are allergies, acid reflux, um, post-nasal drip, those things, everybody wants to blame them on like their vocal problems. But the truth is you probably just talked really loud and for a really long time and you have mucosal or muscular fatigue. Um, so if you're getting hoarse after mealtimes, um, that's that's acid reflux, right? But if, if it's not, then uh, it's not. Um, that's a pretty big generalization, but uh, we'll, we'll say it like that. Um, yeah, so it's some general vocal health stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you for like blitzing through that in such a <laughs> way. Like I'm definitely gonna be like coming back to to that because as somebody that I've never been a singer before I've never tried to do anything like that so this summer I'm trying to sort of put myself in the best position to sound as pretty as possible <laughs> so thank you I'll be 
continuing to take these things into consideration and all of us as podcast hosts, you know, we're talking for a long period of time and trying to be expressive with our voices. Um, Nikita, I, I saw you on mute. Did you have something that you'd like to dovetail on? Yes, I have we do one have last a, question. A little under 10 minutes and I've got a, a, yes. final, a final question for us. But Nikita, you take off, make it happen. Um, again, a uh, very psychologically rooted question um, about using your voice as activism. And this is something that I've had to kind of learn through trial and error. And I think every young activist has to go through the, the motions of trying to find their activist voice. Because it, it's so different from when I'm telling my people around me, I want tea, to being this powerhouse on the internet, you know, speaking about uh, really pertinent issues. Um, when it comes to finding your voice as an activist, not just in activist spaces, but in trying to get the truth out there, what is the most important aspect of not just the science behind the voice, but the psychology behind the voice to you? Darn, I, that's another one I'm, I know we're low on time, but I just need a second. I need a pause um, to think could about I, that. I'm not about the I easy interject? questions. <laughs> Brittany, while you're pausing and thinking about that, Nikita, I actually think that I can shed some light. I, I think Perfect. I can shed some light on this. Maybe it's your you question. Know, I'm, I'm the first person in Tennessee that has been arrested protesting for drag in, in over a decade. My friend Salamander and I were detained um, using our First Amendment rights to speak out against everything that the state legislator here in Tennessee and the governor has been has been putting on our shoulders. And we were very, uh, you know, much more so Salamander than myself, were very brutally treated by, at the hands of police here in Memphis. And that, you know, your voice Try, you know, uh, uh, when I'm talking to my crab spider that lives in my molding, I try to talk to her every time that I see her because even if she doesn't have any ears, I know that somehow nature gave us voices and nature gave us vocalizations so that even if things cannot hear us, the vibrations of our voices carry and move throughout the universe and they have infinite effects. What I learned when I held a microphone and a megaphone in front of my mouth in a crowd of people and I made a very specific statement, uh, those words changed my life and then echoed through that crowd and those words changed that crowd and then they started to change Tennessee. So your voice as an instrument of change, you know, the vibrations of our voice, why does a why does a concert feel so powerful to humans? Because you're standing in the middle of all these people that that vibration has to travel through their bodies and through their flesh and through their bone to get to you. So the vibration, the sound, the power, it enriches as it travels, even though it diffuses. And I just, I think that Nikita, when it comes to preparing your voice for something like that, knowing that you're going to be gentle with yourself and doubling down on being gentle towards yourself in the face of a world that may very well tell you that your voice is absolutely wrong. Um, there is 
uh, I think that that ascribing more power to our voices than just a physicality, just an expression, just a vocalization. I think that there is a universal vibrational energetic power that the human voice and that the animal, the, the earth, the earthen voice has. So I feel that that is, it is affected so powerfully by culture, by your community, by those around you. And I'm somebody that am, I'm in the middle of dealing with that and my voice as an artist is changing because of the ways that I've used my voice as an activist. Um, yeah. And I just think that what a, once again, what a powerful can of worms to open. Uh, <laughs> if, if Brittany would like to dovetail off of that, um, we've got a little bit under five minutes, <laughs> but yeah. Caroline says, don't yeah. rush. So we, we're in no rush, babes. So uh, Brittany, I wanna turn the frying pan back over to you for a moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you stepped in because I do think that was your question. I, I don't think that it is a question for me other than that. Um, other than that, it, I, you know, what you were saying about being gentle with the voice and that after I just gave that lecture on vocal health and like, you know, your vocal budget. Well, sometimes you have to spend it right and like sometimes you need to cry. Sometimes you need to raise your voice above a crowd for a cause and endure a couple a couple days of hoarseness and it's like the balance between being human and doing what um like you over you know maybe spending our body a little bit too much for a good cause and like there's no there's no judgment there Well, y'all, that is all we have for today. And before we go, we want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review wherever you go, whether it's Apple, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. That's right, we are on YouTube. And today's episode was once again co-hosted by Nikita Ramkasun, Noah Buchanan, and I am, of course, your mother. Uh, and mother of the movement, Magical Miss Moffy from hell itself here in Memphis, where the queer community rocks. I love you, Caroline. Thank you for writing that in there. And hey, y'all, thank you for listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. Understand that whatever your narrative is, it belongs with us and we love you and we support you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you want to learn more about Brittany's work, you can check out their website and social media page at www.lotusvoicestudio.com and we will include all the links on our show notes so that you can easily find them. And uh, I just, it's been an honor to talk to all of you. It's been a very affirming couple hours. Thank you so much. This has been so amazing. I hope you will all find me on Instagram so that we can message. Um, that's my handle. And yeah, if you want, if you need anything in the future with your voice, um, let me know and I'll sign off for now. But thank you so much. It was so great to meet all of you. Hey, everyone. If you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on May 6, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was hosted by Mock Mock Moth. Today's guest co-host was Noah Buchanan. Today's contributing co-host was Nikita Ronkinson. Today's guest was Brittany Farrell. The Trans Narrative Podcasts were created by Caroline Penny and co-developed by Ariel Aki, Athena Permacus, and Lucy Bassano. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. Research provided by Athena Permacus, Caroline Penny, and Mar Newell. Music provided by Gamma Sky is titled Get Up Again. The music you hear now has been created and produced by Athena Permacus. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters.
the easiest way to upload a podcast, formerly known as Anchor. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. If you'd like to reach out to learn more or be a guest or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.